Good morning. Uh, if you haven't met me, uh, my name is Brad. Uh, and if you have met me, my name is still Brad, actually. Uh, and I'd love to chat to you afterwards if I haven't met you. Uh, right now, I've got the privilege of bringing God's word uh, for, uh, to us. And it's going to be from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 15. Uh, and I'm actually, I'm going to preach through it verse by verse, but I'm actually going to invite Jack up to read the whole passage for us before we get into it. So, thanks, Jack. Hey, I'm Jack. Would you please read with me? And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth like you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone catch you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptised, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Thanks, Jack. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, a theme that runs right through that passage uh, is life in Christ. And that's the title of the sermon. That's what we're going to be thinking about this morning. Uh, and these 10 verses are a part of a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Colossae about 2,000 years ago. Um, but today, these 10 verses are just as important to read and understand. Because... People who listen and believe these words will live lives that are very different from those who listen to them and don't believe them. They're very life-defining. Uh, so as we turn our attention to the text, uh, would you pray with me for God to help us understand what his word's saying this morning? Uh, Father, I pray that as we come to your word, uh, that we would put aside the stresses, the worries, the distractions of the week, um, or whatever is on our mind, uh, and really just tune into what you are saying through your word. And pr we pray that you will work through your spirit to help us know what your word means and how to apply it to our life. Amen. Uh, so, Colossians, it's a bit of a short, punchy letter. Uh, you can read it in about half an hour, and I encourage you to do so when you go home. Uh, Paul wrote this letter to the church in Colossae uh, to remind them uh, that Jesus was Lord over all creation, over everything in creation. And to remind the Colossians that because they believe in him, that they are saved and secure in this life and the next. Uh, and in these 10 verses, Paul lays out what that means for their day-to-day -day life. And he also warns them of some deadly traps to avoid. Uh, and we live 2,000 years after this letter was written on the other side of the world. Um, but these words from Paul are every bit as true for our lives today as we follow Christ. Uh, so let's get into the text. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must 
Follow, continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. And verse 6 is almost like the topic sentence for this passage. Everything that follows from verse 6 builds on that idea of following Jesus as Lord uh, and walking with him and what that means practically. Uh, so it's important to understand verse 6 well. Uh, accepting Jesus as Lord simply means receiving what God has revealed about him and believing it. And what the Colossians accepted was the oral teaching of Paul, which carried apostolic authority from God. And Paul obviously isn't around today, uh, but his words still are, and his words still carry that same authority because God is around. And so that means we can accept Jesus as Lord too. That oral teaching which Paul guarded really carefully has now become the written teaching that we see in our New Testaments. And so we know Jesus is our Saviour, but I wonder if you've ever considered the meaning of Jesus as Lord and how that's actually a bit different to Saviour. So the creed that we said at the, at the beginning of the service was from Colossians chapter 1, uh, and it was about Jesus being Lord, about Jesus having authority over creation because everything was created through him. And so, like everything in this world, you and myself, human beings, we're just creations of God. And according to Colossians, that means Jesus is Lord over us. And for, us, for him to be our saviour, he has to be our Lord. He has to have authority over us and all creation. He has to have authority over death. Otherwise, he couldn't save us from death. So Jesus has unquestionable authority over the powers of evil. That's how we can be so confident that he can, in fact, deliver us from evil. And so accepting Jesus as Lord means letting him determine the way we live, which is what verse 7 is all about, reminding us that Christ is our foundation for life. He's our source of life, our bedrock that doesn't change and always stands firm. And then in verse 8, Paul gives a warning against putting our faith or trust in anything else. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than Christ. Uh, and we aren't entirely sure if Paul is referring to a specific person or, or people that are seeking to deceive the Colossian Christians or whether he's just referring to the, the general cultural climate at the time, but what we can be certain of is that Paul has no time for any other gospel than Christ crucified. And when Paul says philosophies, he isn't just referring to uh, classical Greek philosophy, uh, he's talking about a wide range of ideas, including false teaching, magic, uh, Jewish traditions and teachings. And he doesn't bother to go into the specifics of those arguments, he just points out that they have a common fundamental problem. He says their empty ideas are from human thinking. And then he goes a step further by saying they're actually inspired by the spiritual powers of this world. And Paul says no other religious doctrines can coexist with what the Colossians have accepted, Christ Jesus as their Lord, in verse 6. Anything else is empty and does not come from God. It's a pretty bold claim 
Because he's saying that anything that adds to, undermines, or disagrees with Jesus as Lord ultimately has its roots in satanic ideas. So, for instance, the, the idea that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Oh, but he was a good bloke, he was a good teacher to follow. Not from God. Or that we need to pray to Mary or the saints to help us get into heaven. Not from God. Or the idea that all religions lead to God. What matters is that you're a good person. Not from God. And they're just a few ideas that take millions and millions of people captive, to use the language that Paul does. But there are countless more of these distracting deadly ideas. So how can we spot something that's a little bit off, a little bit dodgy? How can we avoid being taken captive by empty philosophies from the spiritual powers of this world? Well, Paul, in his true blunt style, gives us a really sort of simple question or alludes to this simple question of how we can discern truth from lies. Is this idea from Christ? Is this idea from Christ? Weigh the idea against the scriptures, which were inspired by God. This is how we can avoid being captured by empty philosophy. Or ideas like, for instance, the prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel preachers claim that God will financially bless you when you become a Christian and you'll be able to live a comfortable life. How do we know if that's true or not? Well, what does Jesus say? Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. I think that's fair to say that Jesus has a different idea of what a Christian life is like to the prosperity gospel preachers. But we can only know that if we know what Jesus says. And we can only know what Jesus says is if we read or hear his word, the Bible. So we don't need to be afraid of of ideas, we just need to read God's word and find out whether they're his ideas or not. Paul is saying that we should engage with or consider other ideas that might be different to what we hold, because we could be wrong. And that different idea might be right. The only way to tell is by seeing if it agrees with God's word. That has to be our standard. So Paul doesn't say to flee from different ideas, we should engage with all sorts of ideas, provided that we stand firm in the truth that we have been taught. And that will mean rejecting worldly ways of living. Standing firm in Jesus our Lord is how we avoid being taken captive by any idea that is not from Christ. Uh, and in verse 9 and 10, Paul changes tack a little bit. Instead of focusing on what to avoid, he turns his attention to Jesus and reminds us of what we have in him. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you are complete. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. I wonder what your reaction is to verse 9. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Maybe you're quite familiar with the concept of Jesus being fully God and fully man. Maybe you've heard that a lot before. And if you're like me, you probably tend to take that for granted just because of the amount of times you've heard it. But 
Just stop and appreciate what that means. Other translations say, for in Christ dwells all the fullness of God in a human body. And the idea of God dwelling brings up, uh, or should remind us of the Old Testament language of God's name dwelling in the place that God chose to be among his people. And whether that was in the promised land or the tabernacle or the temple, God dwelt with his people in specific places in the past. But Paul is saying all of that has now given way to a new reality in Jesus. Spiritual mysteries and empty philosophies, what are they compared to God dwelling with his people in a human being? But the wonder doesn't stop there. Verse 10, so you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. How are we made complete in Christ? Well, Paul goes on. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptised, and with him you were raised to new life, because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. And these two verses describe the fullness of our experience in Christ. And they're described using some pretty hectic metaphors. The first one, spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of our sinful nature, or as another translation puts it, putting off the body of the flesh. And Paul is talking about us being purified through Christ's death. When Jesus died on the cross, God's righteous judgment that was heading straight for us was poured out on Jesus instead. And in that way, Jesus took the punishment for our sin and made us pure in God's sight. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And that means Jesus died in our place so effectively, so truly, that when he died, we died. For those of us who put our faith in Christ, Paul says we have been buried and raised to life again with him. And while it's true that we will die and we will rise again to eternal life in the future, Paul's actually talking about right here, right now, a present reality. We have already been buried and raised to life with him. What does he mean by that? Well, he doesn't mean physical death and resurrection will happen this life the moment you become a Christian. I think most Christians in this room can probably attest to that. I haven't experienced that. And so it appears that what Paul is pointing out, that when someone becomes a Christian, the old, unregenerate sinner gets judged, condemned and sentenced to death. And then in Christ, they are raised to new life. Because the link between sin and death has been broken by Christ. His death was a once and for all payment for the sin of all humanity, past, present and future. And this is why Paul confidently writes in Romans 8 verse 1, So there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And that doesn't mean that, we're fl- that we are free from our flesh or our sinful nature, and you can see Romans 7 for reference, but it means that we are free from the consequence of sin, 
death. We are free from death in Christ. And according to the next verse in Colossians, that is a very stark contrast to where we were before Jesus took our place on the cross. On the cross, You were dead because of your sins. And because of your sinful nature, because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Paul's not pulling punches here. Christ didn't just give us a nice gift or make us into better people or help us find favour with God. He took us from death to life. We were dead people walking before Jesus stepped in. Dead, as in dead. No potential, no hope, no life. Dead. And what can dead people do? Nothing. I think that's why Paul doesn't mention us doing anything in these verses. Because we didn't do anything. We couldn't do anything. God is the one who has done everything for us. Verse 14 says, Our charges have been dropped, have been cancelled. Jesus has paid our outstanding debt. Our sin has been nailed to the cross and paid for by Jesus. And Jesus triumphed over death by dying and rising again. Death had no hold on him. And the same is true for those of us in Jesus, for those of us who believe in him. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. The cross was the decisive victory over satanic power in this world. And the Colossians, when, when they read this verse, living under Roman rule, they'd be all too aware of what the phrase shaming them publicly would look like. Because when the Romans defeated an army, they would parade them through the streets for everyone to see. And this public shaming just had one purpose. It was to expose the powerlessness of anyone who stood up to the might of Rome. And Paul says that is what Jesus has done to Satan, or the rulers or the authorities, his influences in this world. Jesus has made them a joke. They're powerless against Jesus and his followers. It's not a contest. It's game, set, match, Jesus. And if you're already a Christian, then as you read a passage like this, you can rejoice in what Jesus has done for you. And if you're a Christian, no doubt you've actually heard most of this before. I've heard it before. So why do we keep telling ourselves what we already know? The basic reason is because we forget. The Colossians were Christians as well. They were humans. They had a personal relationship with Jesus, yet Paul was highly concerned with making sure that they were not taken captive by empty philosophy and high-sounding nonsense. And the same danger faces us today, every day. As Christians, we're, we're painfully aware of our own sin, our sinful nature. We know we still fall short of God's standard every day. And we shouldn't ignore those sins. We should pray and repent and confess them to God and each other. But at the same time, consider Christ. Consider Christ. Consider again who he is and what he's done 
and understand how he has saved us from the power of sin and death and has no hold over us. In him is found everything we need for life. Verse 10, we have been filled in him. Our life is found in Christ and it is full in Christ. No more, no less, but Christ. And if you aren't a Christian, then you actually have the opportunity to rejoice in this passage as well because you now know where to find life. Jesus' death is powerful enough to cover your sin. And remember that no Christian ever saved themselves. We were all naturally enemies with God. But Jesus was the one who saved us when we were dead in sin. And as verse 12 implores you, trust the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Believe in Jesus. Because the alternative to believing in Jesus means that you are a captive to empty philosophy and the powers of this world. And so whether you're an atheist who doesn't believe in God, whether you believe in God but also think your good deeds will help save you, if you believe in anything except Jesus, this passage is telling you that you are existing without hope. Don't do that to yourself. Don't reject life. Put your faith in Jesus. You don't need to defeat sin and death. He's already done it. Did you notice how all those verses were in the past tense? God raised Jesus from the dead. He made you alive. He forgave all our sins. He cancelled our charges. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and he shamed them by his victory on the cross. Everything happened in past tense. It's already happened. It's already taken place. And so I encourage you, as this passage says, to live in response to that reality. I'll close with verse 6 and 7, which aptly sums up what our response should be. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Amen. Can I just sing in Christ alone?